0: And so I'm like, okay, clamps on. Let me go take it for a ride down the street, see how it mm-hmm. feels. I went for one uh, one run down down the road, uh, just to let it warm up. And I turned around, and I came back, and I, I gave it everything it got, and it we power wheelied in, in first, second, third, and fourth, and in fourth it was going through this like wild power wheelie, and oh then my God. silence.
1: Oh man! For that brief moment, it you was were on like a Buell H two R. I know exactly. <laughs> oh, it was it was unreal. I, you know,
0: I, I was smiling from ear to ear.
1: Yeah.
2: All
1: right, so this is, actually, I've kind of lost track. Um, episode one, two, five. This is five. Oh, five. You're, you're on it. Okay. I'm on it. You're on it. I'm not. Um, but yeah, this is episode five of the Bench Racing Network podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Jared Gant, and I have, and I should have cleared this up before... Before I started, Ziegler? Ziegler, yeah. Ziegler, okay. Um, I've got uh, Eric Ziegler with me, who's a, I guess, acquaintance, friend, I don't know. Um, we've we've met a couple times before, um, haven't spent a whole lot of time around each other, um, but uh, you know, sort of known each other in passing, know a lot of the same people, um, and like I said, I think I did a little, uh, just a brief clip, um, Eric is actually a co-worker of Nick Bragg, who was on the last episode, uh, who's a very good friend of mine, um, but Eric is a, uh, I, he's kind of a mad scientist, man. um I mean, you've been into pretty much. I what I, I kind of want to start like at the beginning, um where you got into cars. I mean, I, I know you've had the Saab and the Volvo, and now the Audi, and you're into bikes, and you've done all the all the turbo shit on the Bules and all that. um But I'd be really interested to kind of because I don't I don't know this. I've, I've never really sat down with you before. Sure, yeah. um I want to hear where you started. What got you into cars, bikes, um, and then you know how that kind of progressed into the type of modification in the work that, that you're doing sure. now. So,
0: yeah, so take I th- it away. I think it really started. Uh, I think I was eight years old, uh-huh. and uh, my brother and I had both been into four wheelers and motorcycles, uh, just interest wise. And so, my dad uh, went with us to a local used motorcycle place, and there was a 1984 uh, Kawasaki KX60 there that had it was well used. Uh, I mean, this thing was ragged out,
2: mm-hmm.
0: uh, but it, my, my dad ended up buying it for me and, okay. and he bought my brother at the time. It was a, uh, I think an 86, uh, YZ 80. Okay. So the two of us had just gotten our first dirt bikes. Yeah. And uh, that next day we went, my, my, dad's in citrus. And so we went to a local Grove mm-hmm. and we cranked these things up for the first time to, to ride them. And I did one lap with this KX 60 around this pond and I was coming back towards my my folks and the motor seized okay so i had maybe a minute or yeah, yeah, a, yeah. a minute and a half on this kx60 and motors you know seized up mm-hmm. so what did i do when we when we got back home i took it all apart like okay. in, in yeah, two, that, in that two seems hours to Be a
1: common thread you know you start right. with taking stuff apart and then you figure out how it goes back together right sure
0: so yeah so within uh and i, I remember it well it was within two hours uh i had this thing literally completely apart the only thing i didn't take apart was the front forks or i hadn't i didn't like unlace the wheels <laughs> but every other nut and bolt was apart yeah i left the motor together but okay. you know just the entire chassis was was mm-hmm. disassembled i didn't really know what to do i just mm-hmm. knew it had to come apart yeah so that's uh kind of what started me with figuring out how to put things take things apart mm-hmm. and put them back together uh, and it piqued my interest with hmm what can i do now you know that, that things yeah. are apart how do I make it work better, or just you know make it nice again? Mm-hmm. Um, so from there it was uh, I had a couple uh, little YSR fifties, which were Yamaha uh, kind of race replicas that were much. Uh, they were scaled down versions mm-hmm. of uh, of the FZRs of the time, mm-hmm. of the late '80s and early '90s. Um, and then from there, it, it turned into Sobs. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was a sob where, story. Where,
1: where did you wind up a sob story? Yeah. How did you wind up getting into? I mean, why Sobs? Right? People ask me why Volvo, but why, yeah. why Sobs for you?
0: So my uh, uncle, uh, he had a Sobs nine hundred. I think theirs was an eighty five or an eighty six,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and it was always a car that was just so neat to to the whole family. Like sure. whenever we would visit my aunt and uncle, uh, we'd go for a ride in the Sobs, and you know the keys in the middle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, just, you know, it was a stick shift, mm-hmm. uh, had the hatchback that which um, which just oh, it's it's, like
1: all glass, all yeah. glass.
0: It carried, you know, carried all kinds of stuff. Yeah. Um, it ran smooth. It was just a neat car. Mm-hmm. And so I think my my dad originally bought one. Uh, it was an 86 or an 87 um, because it was a local uh, for sale and mm-hmm. it was in good shape. And from there, it just kind of went downhill. Uh, the whole family got into sobs. <laughs> And, uh, oh, and so, you know, I followed suit and, and, uh, and really enjoyed the vehicles and, uh, uh, ended up with an 88 SPG, yeah. which was like the sport version. It had yeah, the, yeah. The, the fair, the body, uh, body work on it, the factory body work
2: mm-hmm.
0: and a 16 valve turbo that, you know, was like the higher horsepower right. version. Um, and, uh, went through and did silly things to that to make it faster and
1: yeah. I mean I, I more unreliable. I, I think I met you right around the time you sold that car. Okay. Maybe. I never actually saw that. Okay. Um, so, talk me through what, what did you what did you do to that car?
0: So the uh, the first things that I did to it, I wanted to make it handle a little bit better mm-hmm. and stop a little bit better.
1: That's uh, like the inverse of what every other young guy does to a car.
0: What's What's funny is when I thought about what to do to it first, I knew that everybody went motor, and I said, <laughs> you know what, this would be fun uh, if I started with suspension and brakes. Mm-hmm. That way, if and when I get to the motor, Mm -hmm. um, it already handles well, it already stops well. So, you know, I already have the, the basis, you know, a a, a solid foundation. So I did some low ring springs. I did some Coney shocks. Um, I did some cross drilled rotors, you know, at the time, you know, it's kind of what's available. Yeah. Uh, yeah, It really wasn't much for sobs. So, um, Different brake and pads. And right around
1: when was this?
0: So this would be maybe 1999 or okay. t- or 2000. Okay. Um, I swapped for the factory 15-inch wheels to some uh, a factory 16-inch wheels that came on uh, some of the 9000 models, mm-hmm. uh, which gave me a little bit more uh, wheel width, so I could put some fatter tires on it, and um, and I just you know was sure that I made the car stay really clean. Sure. Um, and uh, was
1: it it was gray it was gray like gray. a dark gray yeah, okay I yep. thought so,
0: yeah edwardian gray is what i think they okay. sob called it yeah <laughs>
1: that's a great color yeah right just everything was that color in the edwardian area <laughs> yeah. that's
0: right so um yeah so it was suspension brakes and then uh and then i made the mistake of trying to make it faster you
1: mm-hmm.
0: know um and that uh started off the SOBs were were infamous for their APC units, which were the automatic performance control, their boost control.
1: We used to, Volvo guys used to rob those in the junkyard and put them on on our our turbo stuff. Yeah, yeah,
0: they were popular. They kind of
1: worked. Yeah, they definitely
0: did better than a manual boost controller that had no intelligence. Sure. (laughs) So, um, yeah, so did some uh, modifications to the APC unit. You could solder in different resistors and change some potentiometer settings and and, uh, Mm -hmm. have more boost almost instantaneously. Um, and then from there, it went to uh, some cylinder head work and a bigger turbo. Uh, and uh, ultimately, I, I blew things up. Uh, transmissions were a big failure on those cars. Right. They couldn't handle any power. Yeah. And I think by the time I was done with the car, um and it sat for many years after that. But Mm -hmm. uh, when I was done with it, I I had gone through nine transmissions. Mm
2: -hmm. Oh, wow.
1: Yeah. (laughs) And were they, were they all five speeds or sticks or some auto or
0: no, no autos? Uh, the majority of them were five speeds. Mm -hmm. Uh, there was a period of time where I, I, I found a four speed and I ran a four speed for a while, which the cases on the Saab four speeds were a a bit stronger. Mm -hmm. Um, there were two issues that I ran into. One is, is that with a four speed, it's really tall gearing. Mm -hmm. And so you kind of, um, when you have a motor that's a bit more built, there's a, sh- a, sh- a shorter RPM band. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. can make some good power. For sure. So it kind of wasn't quite as fun to drive. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, also on those transmissions, regardless of four or five speed, the pinion bearings were, were known to go out. Okay. Uh, and so on this four speed, the pinion bearing ended up making a big whirring sound. Oh, and I said, yeah. oh, okay, it's time to you know change things out. And mm-hmm. I definitely, at the time, I was not uh, bold enough or skilled enough to break into a transmission to try yeah. to, rebuild one or you know make it better These are just toss so, the
1: junkyard unit in and keep on trucking and the great
0: thing about sobs and i think this is still the case you can go find one for two or three hundred dollars in a junkyard and steal parts off of it so yeah. at one point in time we had 14 sobs holy uh, shit and wow. i think at the uh maybe at that pinnacle of, of our sob ownership <laughs> maybe four of them ran yeah and the rest yep. of them were were parts cars
1: yeah this this is a theme yeah. <laughs> right
0: <laughs> so uh yeah, you know, I really uh, I cut my teeth on uh, on the Saab in terms of what to do and what not to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I ended up stripping the entire uh, factory wiring harness down to just the bare minimums of what I needed. The car mm-hmm. got completely gutted. I put a roll cage, a, a, a eight point roll cage in it. Mm-hmm. Um, it ended up getting pretty silly with five point harnesses and, yeah. and race seats and all kinds Did of. Did you take it racing? Um, I did one autocross event with it, but oh. that was it. The rest oh. of the time was, was, <laughs> okay. uh, street right. racing down in South Florida. Oh yeah. 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 Yeah, sure, yeah, sure. And I was like the only guy with the sob.
1: Yeah. How'd you do? <laughs> did you clean it pretty good or,
0: um, only some of the slower Hondas.
1: <laughs> okay. Well, still, you know, yeah. Yep. that's cool. But, um, any but, idea what it, uh, what did it make at, at the peak?
0: Um, it probably was in the high three hundreds, uh, okay. probably at the wheel. Um, I, would I mean, say. early two
1: thousands, that's, and that's it was healthy. no joke for a street car. Yeah. You know? I mean it, um, the it motor still not.
0: It's still not. Yeah, the uh, the motor ended up with um, eight to one compression, so pretty low compression. Mm-hmm. Uh, forged JE pistons. Uh, it had uh, forged rods, um, lightened and balanced crank. The the deck was o-ringed for a copper head gasket. Uh, mm-hmm. I was running like thirty pounds of boost. Yeah. Um, the head was you know ported. It was a two point one liter uh, head, which had better port design, mm-hmm. uh, so could support more airflow. Um, so different. Sixteen cams, valve or was that sixteen okay, valve? Yep. Yeah. And. Um, Big, you know, big three inch exhaust. Um, a lot of different little things. I had, I think, at the, the biggest injectors I had in there were 650cc injectors. Mm-hmm. Um, I went to a SDS EFI stand- oh, with the knobs, standalone. Yes, yeah. oh man, so, that
1: was the hot ticket back oh, in the man. day on turbo brakes. Yeah,
0: yeah, so yeah, SDS. Uh, I I again to cut my teeth with tuning mm-hmm. that thing, uh, that. Uh, was the, the ticket for me to melt down the motor? Yeah, uh, <laughs> I learned about the difference between narrow band and wide van oxygen sensors, and, uh-huh. and when to use what and when not to use what. Yeah, um, yeah, definitely some a lot of things got broken, mm-hmm. um, but it was an awesome experience. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, poor car, I feel horrible for yeah. that thing because yeah. it was so nice when it was when I first got it. Uh-huh. Everything was was uh, fresh. It was an old lady had owned it, so the leather mm-hmm. was beautiful. Yeah. It was in perfect shape. And I ruined it. I mean, um, you know, it still looked oh, it still man. looked good when yeah. I was done with it, but it um, it didn't have any of the OE qualities yeah, anymore. Yeah, 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 sure, <laughs> sure. So, well,
1: what what uh, what turbo did you want to run on? Do you remember?
0: So uh, I know at one point I was running for a while. Uh, it was a T3 Super sixty uh, Comp stage, which at the time I really didn't even know what it was. It just was bigger, um, and then there and was. And that's the important thing, right? Was, oh, of course, yeah, bigger is better. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was definitely the approach back then. And then, um, uh, there was a later stage where I ran a T3, T4 hybrid. Yeah. Oh yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Hot shit. Um, and then there was a very brief moment where I ran a T4, uh, turbo. And to this day, I couldn't tell you what actual specs these things were. Um, but I knew the T4 was just way too big for the motor. Mm -hmm. Uh, it supported a a lot of peak power, Mm -hmm. but that's it. Um, Yeah. So, uh, optimized, no. Uh, bigger, yes.
1: Yeah. <laughs> well, that's cool. Yeah. So, how long was the, the Saab run? What, 10 years or so?
0: Yeah. So, I uh, first got the Saab in 98. And then um, I just recently, as you said, I just recently sold the Saab. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it ran consistently up through 2004. Okay. Um, and then after 2004, uh, there are a few times where I revived it. And, and I would drive it around t- town a few times. Yeah. But again, uh, I had stripped the A.C. from it. There was no yeah. ventilation at which, all.
1: Which is okay when you're 16, 17, 18. But exactly. as, as you get older and start wanting to actually use a car, yeah, it yeah,
0: sucks. And in Florida, too, right? Oh, and, yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah. 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 So um, the A.C. became more of a priority, and mm-hmm. uh, it just wasn't a, a reasonable car. To, with the roll cage, I'd have to kind of crawl over the roll right. cage, crawl, you know, fall into the race seats, yeah. um, put the five-point harnesses on. I, you know, I feel like an old man saying these things. Yeah. <laughs> but it just didn't wasn't a it wasn't a fun car to drive in town. Yeah. Now if it, if I had like a trailer and could take it to a track on a regular basis, mm-hmm. it would probably be a pretty entertaining vehicle. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but then you run into like transmission issues on a regular basis sure. and yeah, um, that that gets old. So I, I built it to uh to the to the not fun point. Mm-hmm. Um but that you know it was great. It was a yeah, good experience. Yeah
1: yeah yeah. Do you uh, still keep in touch with the guy that owned it, or is you just kind of like no, and it rather, and you just kind of wash your hands of it?
0: Yeah, my goal for selling it was whoever gets it, I don't ever want to hear from them again, because <laughs> I can only oh, imagine man. the questions they have. Yeah, you know, yeah, when they start yeah, to yeah. dig into something, why is this like this? How how did this get? Just don't worry about it.
1: Yeah. Don't <laughs> about it. <laughs> a buddy of mine, um, Amon in, in Charlotte, he had a seven sixty uh, that, that sort of almost actually an identical approach to your sob. Um, it wound up, it, it just wound up this just way overblown, ridiculous, you know, street <laughs> car with a cage and all that. Yep. Um, and I guess it was probably three years ago he decided that, that he was just done with it and wanted to move on. Um, and he didn't have the time to part it out or the space, and I did, so I you know, put it on the trailer and brought it up here and parted out all the, the major stuff on it. Okay. Um, and uh, yeah, this guy in Boom, who's actually since passed away, he decided that he wanted uh, the shell. And I told him, like, dude, you know, it's, and it was that, uh, I don't remember the color. It was that laser blue. That's what it was. That Volvo laser blue, kind of like electric blue color that he had painted. That's awesome. And, you know, from 20 feet away, it looked great. Uh, But you get up on it, and it was, and I told him, I said, dude, you know, you're going to have some questions about this thing when you see it. No, 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 I want it. So, like, 300 bucks or whatever. He comes up, rolls it on the trailer, takes it away. And a couple days later, I start getting messages like, Hey, uh, do you know that the roll cage isn't, you know, this, this is kind of weird. This is a little bit different. I don't know what's going on. I'm like, yeah, well, you know, I told you. And I think the last (laughs) one I got, he sent me a picture of, I think it was the passenger side transmission tunnel in the floorboard. Okay. He goes are these computer cases welded in here? <laughs> no way. <laughs> and I went, yeah, that's, that's what he did. He like, needed a patch panel. That was the only thing laying around, you know, and yeah, that's he, awesome. he cut up the, the, the PC uh, case and welded it all in all that. But, but yeah, it was sort of the same thing. And I, I should have done what you did. I should have told him, Hey, once this is yours, I don't want to hear anything else yeah. about it. Well,
0: um, I, I can say that the, the car did go to a, uh, a good buyer. Good. Um, he has over 200 other SOBs. See that,
1: that, that's, he's got a problem. <laughs> I, I would agree. You know, it's it's a it's a cool problem, but right. that that's a problem. Bro. Fourteen might be uh, in yeah. excess. Two hundred,
0: yeah. y- you've got a problem. Dude.
1: I, I I drew the line when I had <laughs> I think six Volvos at any, maybe it was seven. It, it was a number, and yeah. I I did not have the space for right. it. And yeah, it was it was too much. But yeah, two hundred. Wow. Hysterical. Okay. <laughs> Wow. Okay. So, uh, so you did the sound thing for a few years mm-hmm. and, uh, you're, you got into, taught me through, I mean, obviously you said you were, you rode from the time that you were uh, a young kid. Young, right. So where did, where did you really start getting serious with motorcycles?
0: So, uh, when I first moved up to Gainesville, Florida, so I grew up in Vero beach okay. uh, and I spent the first 20 years in Vero. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, uh, from there, uh, I thought at the time I, I was actually going to make a serious effort to go to school. And so mm-hmm. I moved up to Gainesville mm-hmm. uh, and my serious effort wasn't, was was uh, long to be found. But, yeah. um, so when I got to Gainesville, the first job I landed was at a local motorcycle dealership. Okay. And just because it was a natural placement for me, it was yeah, easy to yeah, get a job, yeah. you know, yeah. in the parts counter. And um, so just working at the, the dealership for, uh, I worked at that dealership for three years. And during that time, you know, just seeing motorcycles every day, I'm like, darn it, I really need something. Yeah. And uh, I was living in an apartment, so I, I, the the last dirt bike I'd had, which was the KX60, mm-hmm. and I'd ridden a few street bikes here and there, um, but uh, more four wheelers, sure, uh, in my in my past, and so I decided to go out and, and shop for something, mm-hmm. and I thought the Buells were kind of cool. That's what I was going to ask. I, yeah. I
1: didn't know how I didn't know if like Buell was something you fell into later, if that was kind of the the initial thing.
0: Yeah. So this was uh, 2004. Okay. Um, no, I'm sorry. It was 2005, and uh, this was a 2005 model. Uh, it was kind of towards the end of the, you know, the the, the 2005s being sold at the dealerships, mm-hmm. and so the dealers were offering pretty good uh, prices on the on the brand new bikes. Mm-hmm. And
1: uh, and sorry to interrupt. I don't yeah. know when when was when did Eric Buell have that relationship with Harley that they had Buell and then the the dealer network.
0: Yeah, so I think Harley bought or you know made the majority of their investment in Buell mm-hmm. in I think 1990 six or 98 okay it was uh late 90s Mm
2: -hmm.
0: um and you know prior to that there had been a lot of involvement from harley but they didn't have the kind of majority uh, sure uh, ownership so it was late 90s when when harley made that big investment in buell and they uh they held on to buell the buell name through 2010 okay uh when they shut buell down okay so uh yeah, so the tube frames were the earliest model Buells that were commonly known. Mm-hmm. And those, those started, I think, 95, maybe 94, mm-hmm. um, in terms of higher volume. And uh, those were produced through 2002. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then in 2003, they revamped the entire model line and came out with the new XB
1: line. Right.
0: Which... That's where the fuel was in the frame yeah uh, the oil's yeah, in the swing yeah, arm. yeah some pretty uh modern for the time for sure i mean uh, even technology. today that's that's and it's,
1: awesome stuff
0: yeah they had that you know the large perimeter uh front brake rotor mm-hmm. uh, where the, the brake rotor is mounted to the rim rather than right. the hub of the wheel um and uh yeah just a lot of neat features uh, and of course a v-twin um it's uh it's a fun motor regardless of what it's in sure uh yeah. you know torquey And uh, it's got that kind of that Harley sound because it's a sportster based motor. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, just all those little neat things uh, really drew drew me towards the Buell brand. And um, uh, so, yeah, so I went to a a local dealership and uh, checked them out and I said, sure, why not? I'll I'll give one a try. And uh, so I bought a uh, it was a 2005 XB12 SCG. Okay. And the S was the lightning model, so you sat more upright with the motocross style handlebars, mm-hmm. and the CG meant it had the low suspension, so it just had shorter front okay. forks and a shorter rear shock. Um, and uh, there was no real reason why I got the CG model; it just kind of it looked neat. It yeah. sat a little bit lower, you know. Yeah, um, I'm not particularly short, nor am I tall, but mm-hmm. you know, it was really designed for folks that have a, a issue reaching the ground. Okay. Um, which I later learned. So then here I am riding the uh, short person's bike. Yeah.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, the XB12, you know, 1203cc uh, V-Twin that's heavily Harley-based. Mm-hmm. The XB was the first uh, Buell where the motor was truly uh, uh, unique to Buell. Mm-hmm. Uh, the earlier generation Buells uh, had a Sportster motor that had a few little changes. Mm-hmm. But this, the engine cases, the cylinder heads, uh, the throttle body, the whole engine management okay. system. Was all uh, unique to Buell. Yeah, it wasn't, yeah, yeah. Nothing was interchangeable with with the Harley models. Okay. Um, and yeah, so I had that for um, just shy of a year uh, before I realized that it didn't have enough balls. Um, yeah.
1: What did What do they make in so, stock trim?
0: So stock, you know, the the factory rates them at the crank 103 horsepower mm-hmm. and 84 foot pounds of torque. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you put them on the dyno at the wheel, they the XB12s typically make. 83 to 85 horsepower okay. and uh, about 75 foot-pounds of torque. Okay. Um, so it's
1: it's definitely not a slouch. Mm-hmm. Um, and they weigh what? Probably 500-ish? On there? the
0: scales, uh, the XB12Ss are right at 476. Okay. So it's, you know, it's definitely not a yeah, real heavy yeah, bike. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But um, it's sporty. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you ride it around for a while and, and you do get tired of the power, like yeah. anything, yeah. you want more. Yeah. And so I looked at all the options that were available and most of it was... Harley-based big bore technology where you just put sure. more displacement, bigger cams, mm-hmm. which then kind of shoehorn your power delivery up in the higher RPM range. Yeah. It's an old, you know, two valve per cylinder push rod design. Yeah. So RPMs not its its uh, best friend. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, with the uh, turbo experience on the Saab, I said, hmm maybe I'll give this one a swing, you know, here. Yeah. Let's see if I can't put a turbo on it. Mm-hmm. So that's, uh, that's what started the whole... Uh, uh, modifying of the fuel and making yeah. it put more power to the ground,
1: and that went through several iterations, didn't it?
0: Oh, absolutely. It okay. was. Uh,
1: were were those fuel injected or carbureted?
0: They're fuel injected. Okay. So that made it a little bit easier. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Were there people offering like aftermarket tuning? And
0: ironically, at the time uh, it had just been released, uh, there was this uh, crazy German guy who had worked with a bunch of other enthusiasts. He worked for a uh, a engine uh, management company, mm-hmm. so he already had a, a pretty solid background with engine management things. Sure. And he just on his own personal time with help from other people, uh, developed his own software that could access and rewrite the factory ECM. Okay. Uh, and that was, at the time it was free uh, Mm -hmm. to the Buell community. So, uh, excellent tool, uh, to have access to and to give me the options to tune it and screw it up or tune it and make it turbocharged. Yeah. yeah, Right. Um, so, uh, that was one of the things that made me say, oh, okay, you know, I can try to tackle this Mm -hmm. project. Um, so yeah, the, the Buell community is a, a really strong, tight knit community, mm-hmm. and uh, there's a lot of opinions, like every you know yeah, every uh, yeah, motorsports sure. community. Uh, but um, but yeah, it was a, a awesome support, and uh, yeah. So I just kind of went down the path of of doing the logical things to put some more power to the ground, uh, and at the same time testing what limits the factory hardware could take. Okay, and I really approached it pretty systematically. Mm-hmm. Um, I put the turbo on. I like the,
1: how this is a theme with you because like. So many of the people, and myself included, just, like, jump into something. Let's go to the junkyard and see if we can find a turbo that looks like it might fit. Oh, yeah, let's slap it on there and see what happens. Yeah. It seems like everything you do, you take this this measured, systematic approach to, to doing.
0: I, I really try. Um, you know, of course, it's it's limited mostly by the knowledge that I have mm-hmm. and the experience that I have. Um, but it uh, it's kind of fun for me. It's entertaining to, sure. to to make it a puzzle and try to make the puzzle pieces fit together as I go. Yeah, um, yeah. Because uh, I've definitely seen a lot of builds where there were a lot of pieces thrown together, but none of them fit. Right. And, yeah. and it works to a certain degree, mm-hmm. uh, but it's not refined. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, my my goal was to end up with a machine that that still operates like it would off the showroom floor. You know, mm-hmm. it cranks up, it runs every time, it doesn't spit and sputter. Yeah. Um, it's reliable, as mm-hmm. reliable as it can be. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah. So I, but at the same time, I wanted to. Really test the limits of what the factory hardware was capable of doing. So I only upgraded the things that I thought needed upgraded or I broke stuff and then I changed it. Yeah. Um, Also, it's a a budget driving thing. Mm -hmm. Um, When you don't have the money to spend on every go fast part. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You kind of got to pick and choose your battles. Um, So I obviously needed to spend money on a turbo Mm -hmm. uh, and I decided on a Garrett unit. It was a GT 2252. Mm Mm-hmm. And the way I, I sized it, Garrett had a pretty good uh, online, uh, some math that they uh, walked you through to turbo sizing, mm-hmm. and I tried to be systematic about that, uh, and I picked a turbo that, it was, sl- at for my initial power targets, it was a little bit large, uh, but it would support what the motor could ever really handle without redesigning everything. Yeah. Um, so you know a a big part of a motorcycle turbo system is packaging is real critical Mm -hmm. so as soon as you design a system for one particular turbo it's not real easy to change to a different turbo sure Um, and so uh so i want to start with a a good heart to the turbo system Mm -hmm. and then i went from there and and the the exhaust plumbing the routing the mounting uh, that made several evolutions Mm -hmm. Um, you know one of the biggest hurdles was a a clutch to hold the additional torque Mm -hmm. Um, there was some uh, aftermarket support for for the Buell clutch assembly. Uh, you could change plates and the and you know the friction discs. The Probably spr- mostly drag springs. oriented, I'd, I'd assume. But yeah, you know there comes a point where um, the stock clutch stack and the the available clutch springs either make the lever effort way too high to, mm-hmm. to have a, a street bike, um, or you have to begin to go to what's a, a lockup mechanism, which uses centrifugal uh, oh, okay. weights. Yeah. And the issue with the lockup is
1: Recluse does that, don't they?
0: Yeah, Recluse okay. has a lockup style setup, um, uh, but depending on what the application is, uh, Recluse is more for uh, uh, more for off road riding. Okay, um, you can use them in drag applications, but uh, but more more of the drag uh, uh, lockup setups. The more RPM you spend, the more pressure is put on the clutch pack to mm-hmm. almost to no limit. Meaning, okay. um, if you try to pull the clutch lever in at seven thousand RPM. Uh, you're going to be fighting all of that centrifugal weight oh, on the, on the okay. clutch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're relying on uh, on your ignition cut or fuel cut mm-hmm. and uh, and uh, clutchless shifting mm-hmm. on the on the drag strip. Sure. On a street bike, that's not reasonable. Yeah. Um,
1: so and I guess we should say that the goal for the xb 12 was to have a powerful street bike, right? That's right. It, it wasn't a drag bike.
0: That's right. Yeah. Okay. I, I I you know I took it down the drag strip a few times just for fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, it was a a street machine for sure. Cool. And I wanted to keep it that way. Um, so yeah the clutch was a, a big challenge over the years mm-hmm. um, uh, there were little bits in the motor there was one point in time where I had a manual boost controller and I was doing a dyno day um, to try to get things tuned in uh, and that day I hit uh, the highest power I had ever hit actually with the motor 187 horse at the real wow. wheel um, and 100. at that time it was 156 or so foot pounds of torque uh-huh. um, what had happened is there was a I had used a this, the factory spring clamp on a rubber connector that that coupled the charge plumbing to the throttle body mm-hmm. and the boost pressure was so high that it had bl- bl- it billowed out the rubber coupler and oh, popped okay. the coupler off yeah so, so that ended my dyno day you know nothing broke uh, yeah. but just i realized i needed to replace that spring clamp with a regular hose clamp yeah. or a t-bolt clamp so the next day i uh, at the house i swapped that clamp out but what i didn't think to do is turn the boost controller back down and what had oh, happened is, man. as I'm tuning on the dyno, I started at low boost, and I'm slowly cranking yeah, the manual boost yeah, controller yeah, up and yeah. up. But every time it's it's uh, boosting past about 15 pounds, it's bleeding some off because right. it's leaking. So my boost controller was set way high. Yeah. And so I'm like, okay, clamp's on. Let me go take it for a ride down the street, see how it mm-hmm. feels. I went for one uh, one run down down the road, uh, just to let it warm up. And I turned around, and I came back, and I, I gave everything it got. And it, it power wheelied in, in first, second, third, and fourth. And in fourth, it was going through this like wild power wheelie and oh then my God. silence.
1: Oh, man. It, For uh, that brief moment, it was were on, wicked. on like a Buell H2R. I know. Ex- exactly. <laughs> oh, it was, it was unreal. I, you know,
0: I, I was smiling from ear to ear. Yeah. And then the motor just died. And, oh, and your front wheel came back down very peacefully. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was so close to the house that I kept my moment, momentum and I coasted down the rest of the way down the road, mm-hmm. made a left turn onto my street mm-hmm. and pulled up right to my front yard and stopped. <laughs> And at oh, that point in time, I looked down and oil is all over the place, oh, all over the back God. tire. And a buddy of mine had stopped by mm-hmm. uh, and he's standing there in the driveway and he's looking at me and he's just shaking his head. He, you know, he's feeling bad for me because yeah. he's like, oh no, <laughs> Eric's dream bike is now just all hand-grenaded. So mm-hmm. it broke the front rod and put big old windows in the cases. Yeah. I mean, it just, it ruined yeah. the entire, everything, oh, God, transmission, man. everything was head-hand-grenaded um, just because you know, it had overboosted and, yeah, and uh, yeah, was not yeah. tuned for that at yeah. all. But, um, so that's when it, it went through a full rebuild, um, mm-hmm. uh, bigger crank, bigger rods, better piston. You that know. was
1: the fourteen twenty five uh, CC build, right?
0: Well, actually, no, that, that still, uh, that remained a 1203. Okay. Actually it went to 1212 as the first overbore, but that's kind of, you know, relatively insignificant. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't until very late that I went big bore. Oh, okay. Uh, okay. cause I was still wanting to see what I could do with the stock displacement. Essentially. Oh, sure. Okay. Um, also with the Harley cases as the cylinders get larger you have to at, there's a certain point where you have to bore the cases larger to fit the larger okay. the cylinders yeah and you start to remove material from the cases and weaken the cases okay so there's kind of a fine balance um, there uh, the last build that I was going through because I had gone to that large displacement uh, mm-hmm. and had to bore the cases I had to run solid iron cylinders mm-hmm. uh, just to keep the rigidity in the cases Okay. Or, Replace it with the, the rigidity of the, of the cylinders. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, Harleys are not made to put out a bunch of power. Mm-hmm. So you're really fighting, you know, fighting logic here with uh, sure. trying to put out, you know, over 200 horsepower. Well, you know, things.
1: neither are sobs and neither are Volvos. But, Somehow you know, or other, I pick this these weird to be, things. Yeah, this seems to be a theme. Yeah.
0: Maybe this is why I take this uh, systematic approach to say, uh-huh. I have a vehicle that I should never do this. Yeah. So let me be systematic about blowing it up.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
2: That's
1: great.
0: Right. Um, so, yeah, it was, you know, the Buell was an awesome, uh, awesome time. And, uh, uh, of course, the Buell community really enjoyed seeing the progress that I made on the bike. Yeah. And, and I was very transparent with everything I did. I, yeah. I posted pictures. I, I had can't some good stand threads.
1: it when people do their build threads and, like, kind of tap dance around the problems they had mm-hmm. or try to hide. Like, it's, it's not so much. I mean, I guess there are people that will, like, point and laugh. But it's sure. more about let's document what works for the community, yeah. so that other people can go down this road and you know make big power and do stupid stuff and all that.
0: Yeah. I am I'm a huge fan of that. Yeah, and and so yeah, that was, I
1: hate people that like treat this stuff like a trade secret. I can't right. I can't stand it,
0: man. Right. Yeah. If if I was in a real competition with somebody, I okay. might begin to hide try to hide something. Mm-hmm. But um, but yeah, my goal here is just to have fun for myself. Yeah. Yeah. And. Anytime somebody would say, hey, Eric, what do I need to do to do a turbo? I'd say, well, here's what I've learned. Yeah. Uh, you know, let me try to help you out with that. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, so I ended up putting together a web, website that was a kind of a blog-style site. Actually, I, I saw that. Yeah, I'll, I'll link
1: that when I when I put this up. Yeah.
0: Awesome. Yeah, where, you know, I've got a lot of pictures of the build. Yeah. And, and uh, it was kind of the status of the bike maybe about three years ago. Um, I haven't done a bunch of updating to it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, but it was just uh, a year ago that um, I had made some pretty bold uh, uh, attempts to uh, – put out even more power from the bike Mm -hmm. and um the bike was in uh, in pieces and i kind of just lost interest in it uh, primarily because of this new project yeah 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 the audi yeah um and i realized i could only focus so much time on projects Mm -hmm. and i can't have two builds going on at one time especially two totally different builds right um so uh didn't you
1: didn't you build one or maybe two of those bikes for like other people
0: yeah so there's I've done multiple builds on my own bike yeah. through the years, and then there's only one other Buell that I've built with a turbo system, okay. and essentially what I did is, when I knew I was gonna take my bike and take it to the next level power-wise, mm-hmm. I wanted to redesign the exhaust system, I put a larger turbo on it, mm-hmm. um, completely do a revamp, and so I took my existing turbo kit off, Okay. And I sold it to a guy in South Carolina. Oh,
2: okay. Okay. Okay.
0: And, uh, it was shortly after I sold it to him that he asked me to build the bike to support the system. Gotcha. Uh, and so we laid down some, uh, some targets mm-hmm. and I said, this is what I'm willing to do. This is what I, you know, I think is probably not realistic. Mm-hmm. Um, so as long as you can agree to that, I'm happy to build the bike. Uh, and so that was about a year's worth of a project. Um, okay. and, uh, yeah, so I, 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 built that bike for him and, and he's still enjoying that thing. Great. Um and, uh, and ironically, he was the same guy to buy my bike in pieces.
2: Oh, OK. Uh, yeah.
0: And so he wants to see that thing live on sure at some point in time. Uh, and he's uh, I may be taking that project on after I finish the Audi. will okay. we'll see about that. Yeah, um, but yeah, it's it's fun to see other people enjoy those things for sure. Um, but of course, it's a little it's a part of my heart, too. So it was sad to see it go. Yeah, I yeah, put, yeah, spent yeah. so much time yeah. uh, in building the thing and, and breaking the thing that <laughs> Boy, I was, uh, it was a big part of my chunk of my heart gone. I'm sure.
1: I'm sure. So, um, before we dive into the Audi, um, I I know it's, I know to you, it might be work, but to me, it's pretty fucking cool. Talk to me about, so, so you were born and raised and grew up in Florida. What brought you to North Carolina? And then how did you wind up, um, at Borg Warner and maybe talk a little bit about what you do at, at Borg Warner now?
0: Oh, sure. Yeah. So ironically, the Buell is what brought me here. Okay. Um, and, uh, so i was living in gainesville uh this was um, let's see here 2014 at the time uh as i said before i moved to gainesville to pursue a, a college degree in engineering <laughs> and um it took me many years to actually uh take make that endeavor so i worked for a few years at a, a local uh, japanese dealer and then sh- and then moved over to the Har- local harley dealership because i had the buell right and i, I was a, a a tech at that dealership <clears throat>
1: all right so we left off uh we we could both use some water you you Absolutely. talk and uh you, you forget you get cotton mouth after a while Oh, for sure but i forgot where so where were we we were we were getting towards the end of the buell oh you were talking about what brought you up to north carolina oh, the yeah you right. brought you north
0: carolina so i was uh i was working at the harley dealership and i and made the decision uh i had met my wife and uh we were together and, and uh she was working full-time too so mm-hmm. Uh, we had the ability to, for me to go back to school. Sure. And um, she had just finished her master's degree. So I made the decision, uh, finished up the local community college, and I uh, got accepted.
1: Can you come up on the mic a little bit? There yeah. we go. Yeah. Got,
0: got accepted uh, uh, to UF to do a mechanical engineering degree.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And so I knew that's what I had wanted to do uh, for the longest time. And so I went through with the schooling, and it was coming towards the end of uh, of uh, my degree, and I was starting to get a bit concerned about how would I apply this. Mm-hmm. Ironically, uh, this was about a semester, two semesters away from graduating. I received a, a private message in one of the Buell forums from a another Buell member. Uh, he had seen that in my uh, profile on the forum, I had listed I was studying mechanical engineering, mm-hmm. and he had seen all of my posts about my turbo work. Mm-hmm. And he said, "Hey, Eric. Uh, my name's Jim. I'm the design engineer manager at Borg Warner Turbo Systems." Uh, any chance you'd be interested in an internship or a job? And I said, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it wasn't long after he had reached out to me that I uh, I made plans to come up to Asheville to check out the facility here. Yeah. Um, it's our uh, our only turbo plant in Nor- in uh, in the U.S.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, is here in Asheville, and so um, yeah, so it came up. That was in 2014. And uh, I accepted a uh, internship position mm-hmm. uh, that lasted about eight months, and I, mm-hmm. I was a design engineer at the time, a CAD jockey, mm-hmm. and you know doing a lot of uh, uh, pretty cool turbo design. Um, and so from there, I went back to finish up my last semester at UF, uh, back to Florida. And uh, when I left the internship, uh, they had offered me a position as a design engineer.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So yeah, I wrapped up my degree in Florida and uh, decided to make the move to North Carolina. Awesome. Uh, And I'll tell you, in terms of uh, the timing of everything and where it took me, uh, I could not have gotten luckier uh, to be able to move from Florida to North to Asheville, North Carolina. Yeah. And have a job in an industry that I love doing Mm -hmm. uh, a technical having a technical role that I really enjoy um, in a beautiful area. Yeah. Man, oh, man. Yeah. And
1: and for those that listen that that haven't been up to this area, it's. You know, I've, I've been pretty lucky to to travel. You know, a lot of places around the world and, and a lot of places around the country. And there's really, I mean, in, in all honesty, I, I'm not sure there's many places that I would rather live. Um, Absolutely. I mean, phenomenal roads, beautiful mountains, great people. Yep. Weather is weather's pretty good. Yeah. You know, it doesn't get too cold. It doesn't you get four get seasons, hot. but yeah, it's 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 a it's a nice place to live for sure.
0: Yeah. So um, that was a dream for me because uh, you know living in Florida. Uh, all my life and being into motorcycles Mm -hmm. uh, this is is one of the areas where everybody everybody loves to come yeah and so uh that was you know that made a perfect fit Mm -hmm. being into cars being into turbos um it all worked out great Mm -hmm. so yeah so so came up here uh moved here uh may of 2015 Mm -hmm. and uh, uh started at borg warner as a design engineer and i was in that role for about a year and a half uh, and I did a lot of design work for the aftermarket uh, business. So I did a lot of design work for uh, some of the Airworks products that we sell, okay. uh, EFR products that mm-hmm. we sell, and so I got to know the aftermarket team really well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then a, uh, a new position for North America uh, was just created um, in 2000, late 2016, uh, program manager. Mm-hmm. And so that's uh, the role that I applied for and, and was uh, accepted. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, so I've been a program manager since late 2016 and, and for the aftermarket. And that's uh, I'm responsible for uh, all the way from uh, business concept through production release or production launch of new products for the aftermarket. That's cool. Uh, and our portfolio is, is really broad. Uh, we sell and launch uh, service turbos. So anything uh, uh, passenger car, commercial vehicle, mm-hmm. uh, off-road, uh, diesel, uh, marine, Uh, We launch uh, turbochargers that are are service versions of what the OE uh, is produced for the OE customers. Okay. Um, And then uh, we also do all of the remanufactured units. So, uh, again, any customer that BorgWarner sells to originally, Mm -hmm. uh, we also take those turbos back as cores and we rebuild them uh, Mm -hmm. back to OE specs. We have access to, of course, all the OE uh, original content. So if it's not good enough as a used piece that we uh, refurb, Uh, We then replace it with a brand new piece Mm -hmm. and uh, sell the reman turbochargers. Um, We also, of course, have all of our performance product line, Mm -hmm. uh, which that's where my heart is. You know, where I'm really passionate about. And so it's been uh, a really awesome experience going to all the aftermarket trade shows. You know, of course, SEMA is a big one that everybody loves. Uh, PRI is is my personal favorite. Mm -hmm. We go to those every year uh, and showcase our products. Mm -hmm. And uh, and yeah, so it's. uh, uh, that's what I've been do- doing, like I said, since 2016.
1: Mm-hmm. That's great. <clears throat> a lot of fun. So, um, the you actually just reminded me while we were taking the break. Um, you you kept saying you kept referencing the Volvo, and I was thinking in my head 240 because I remember you had it was like a white 245, wasn't it?
0: Yeah, it was a 1990 uh, 240 DL yeah. wagon. Yeah.
1: And I, I had completely forgotten that you had um, the the P2R. It was was it flash green?
0: No, it was a, it was a black.
1: Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, okay. Now, yeah, 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 sapphire black metallic, something yeah, like that. Yeah,
0: yeah. It's the black. Sure. So it was a
1: 2004. I think S, I rode with R. you at uh, at autocross in Hendersonville. Yeah, you, you once. You yeah. maybe did. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so. So was that that car was that mostly uh, mostly stock or?
0: I mean, I had done some work to it, uh, and I kind of approached it originally similar to how i, I tackled the sob i did the suspension and, and mm-hmm. brakes first sure. um, not that there's much to do to the brakes on those cars to begin with but um, i did some i think uh those are they were ipd springs uh, ipd sway bars mm-hmm. um, i originally i built my own <clears throat> own three inch catback exhaust mm-hmm. with a magnaflow muffler and then uh, swapped out for the IPD oval system, mm-hmm. uh, short throw shifter, just some little yeah, things to yeah, make yeah. it more fun yeah, to drive. Right. Uh, some poly bushings. Mm-hmm. Um, but overall, just a pretty solid driver, daily yeah, driver.
1: Yeah. Um, and then that, uh, you had that for a few years, I guess, and then that now has turned into the the, the beautiful project that's sitting here uh, in the shop with us. I'll, <laughs> I'll take some pictures of it before we go and, and put them on the website as well. But this is a, I've got, I'm terrible. Two thousand eight. You 2008, said two thousand eight. Yeah. RS Audi RS four.
0: RS four. B seven. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So B 7s the okay. chassis. That's right. Okay.
1: So B seven RS four with a what? What displacement is the the V eight?
0: So it's a four point two liter uh, V eight, and mm-hmm. you know Audi has a lot of different. Um, I think something like I could be wrong, but twelve or thirteen different variants of a four Oh really?
2: Okay.
0: I had um, no idea. And so uh, this variant here is is unique in its exact form. Is unique to the RS four model. Um, they have a very similar version that they use in the V8 R8s. Okay. Um, the difference in, in the R8 V8 and this motor is the R8 has a dry sump oiling system, mm-hmm. and it has a, a different intake manifold and dual throttle bodies. Okay. Aside from that, it's it, almost identical. And the,
1: I, I should say, it kind of took me back, the throttle body on this thing has to be, what, three and a half inches or something?
0: Yeah. It's it's, it's massive. Yeah, I think it's like almost a four-inch uh, butterfly yeah, in that insane. thing. Yeah, it's insane. Yeah, it's it's a really high rpm which is wonderful uh okay. v8 uh, and fifty wow. rpm is the red line
1: that's higher than the bike out there revs man
0: uh almost the bike does go to 10. no i'm saying mine mine revs, oh yours yeah, mine
1: revs to eight and that's it <laughs> yeah yeah
0: so you know a, a v8 at wow, eight thousand plus rpm is just a beautiful sound yeah and uh they all came manual so you couldn't get an automatic uh-huh. which uh, for me a manual is so much more fun yeah, you can yeah. rev it out whenever you want sure um, it's a smooth motor. It's It sounds beautiful. Mm-hmm. The chassis is tight. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's comfortable. Um, and it just has everything you want. It's got huge eight-piston front calipers mm-hmm. with, uh, like, they're 395-millimeter front rotors. Yeah. Um, just big old big brakes. Yeah. Um, and I think the, I
1: was listening. It might have been, I think it was Smoking Tire had... Steve Dynan on or something. Somebody, somebody okay. that's big into the aftermarket racing scene. And they were talking about uh, kind of the, the thought process for going through and, and choosing a project car. And w- which is, I've never really had that experience. But I mean, people, some people like you, you went out searching for, you know, this particular car you wanted to build. Sure. Um, and they made the point, they're like, look, if you're going to, if there's a particular chassis that you want as a project, get whatever the best version of that chassis is. You know, if you like E36s, get an M3. M3, okay. right even if you're going to do the other stuff you get the better brakes and the better suspension and the better interior you know and the, the better transmissions options and all this stuff that you want to do anyway Agreed. is already in your starting point for the car yeah okay so um, so what what drew you what drew you to the the
0: RS4 well it's it's uh, to me it's a beautiful body uh-huh. uh, you know it's got the, the larger fender flares mm-hmm. uh, stock um, but it's also a sleeper in that you know just driving down the road uh, it doesn't really stick out, uh, yeah, unless yeah. you're an a enthusiast and you right. and you notice the the really wide tires, the big brakes, the sure. the, the bulky fender flares, um, and uh, so yeah. So it's a it's a sleeper. I'm a big fan of sleepers. Yeah, um, and the sound, of course, uh, uh-huh. sound is a big thing for me. That's one of the reasons I love V twin motorcycles. They uh-huh. just sound so great. Um, the high RPM V eight, it's a mm-hmm. gorgeous sound, and um, and it's a four door. Uh, I would have loved, as a lot of people. Uh if the uh the wagon, the Avant oh, was yeah. available here. Yeah. Um, i drool over wagons. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm a wagon guy yeah. through and through. Because yes. I'm you very utilitarian, mm-hmm. right? Uh if it's uh, functional and it hauls ass, uh, mm-hmm. that's yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's my <Perfect>. baby. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So because the Avant's not available here mm-hmm. um in the R S four. I uh, imagine
1: you'll be you'll have one when they're twenty five years and one day old, probably. Uh, totally. Yeah. Uh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs>
0: but um but yeah I was able to find this uh uh you know untouched uh it was a virgin specimen uh, mm-hmm. that was well cared for by its previous owner low mm-hmm. mileage and uh and yeah so it was a perfect example It's all black which uh I'm again uh, I'm a fan of uh simple things and mm-hmm. color is one of those things yeah um black cars just do it for me mm-hmm. um I'm afraid that if I bought something some other color uh mm-hmm. I would get over it and want it to change it right but um but yeah so it was a beautiful car, and honestly, uh, when I first uh, was interested in, in the RS4s, and uh, even at, shortly after buying it, I really was not intending on turning it into a project. Yeah. Um, it just, uh, I, I had the opportunity with some hardware uh, from work uh, that really made me think, uh, do I need to make this into a project, and mm-hmm. uh, I made that choice. Yeah. <laughs> <Oops>. yeah.
1: <laughs> so did you, how long did you drive it around? Uh, Pretty much stock.
0: So, I bought it August of 2017. Okay. And, um, uh, no, I'm sorry, 2016. And I drove it around for a year and a half
1: uh, okay. stock. What do, they, what do they make stock? I'd imagine, what, mid 400s or so?
0: Yeah, so Audi uh, claims 420 okay. crank horse mm-hmm. and 317 foot pounds. Okay. Um, I actually just put this thing on the dyno before I tore it down to have a baseline run.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and at the wheels, uh, it put down three... I think 320 horse okay. and uh, 260 or 270 foot pounds of torque, yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, so it's it's sporty. Um, yeah. It's uh, you know it's definitely not huge power, mm-hmm. but it's plenty of power to make yeah, it yeah, to make yeah. it scoot along for sure. Uh, really good, and um, it's got a pretty broad uh, torque curve. Uh, mm-hmm. The I think peak torque on this thing is something like 3500 rpm. Okay, so to have peak torque so early and it run all the way out to 8200 rpm. Uh, you got a lot of motor yeah, to play yeah, with yeah yeah
1: a lot of area under the curve that's for right sure. cool yep so uh right now it's it's up on uh, four jack stands in the garage which i got to say is it's a pretty immaculate uh, garage you got here nice <laughs> thank you. nice workshop thank you um and the the entire trunk pan has been cut out <laughs> you know i, I Cutting on my stuff that's thirty years old, you know, I I clench up a little bit. I can't imagine what it was like taking. The, oh, my butt <laughs> was puckered the,
0: the entire time.
1: <laughs> I mean, you cut out the whole like the whole spare tire well and everything, right? Yeah. Um, and and you've built uh, so you've built kind of this uh, the support frame in there for, um, and actually for, I didn't know until Nick actually started talking about it. I didn't know what an e booster was, right? Okay. So the, I guess. Uh, give me the, the cliffs notes for what's going in the car forced induction wise
0: Yeah so you know my goal for this was to uh, uh, keep it as much of a naturally aspirated power delivery or torque curve as mm-hmm. possible, mm-hmm. but just elevate all of that okay and so um, and, and that goal kind of came from the product that was available to me. Mm-hmm. And so um, uh, what I've uh, selected is a very large for this motor a very large turbocharger mm-hmm. um, which ordinarily uh, if I didn't have access to the other products, I wouldn't have selected something so big, sure. Uh, but a, a large single turbo, uh, and then uh, dual uh, what are called e boosters, as you mentioned, mm-hmm. and these are uh, electric superchargers. Mm-hmm. So essentially, it's a uh, it's the compressor stage from a turbo mm-hmm. uh, with uh, with an electric motor that powers it. Mm-hmm. And the uh, the nice thing about an e booster is that it's instantaneous, mm-hmm. on demand. So whenever you want it, this thing will provide boost and additional airflow to the motor. Mm-hmm. Um, and the combination of the dual E-boosters and this large turbo, uh, the dual E-boosters will provide boost as early as I, I could. It would be as silly, but as early as 500 RPM in the, in the motor, right? Yeah. So before the motor's even idling, right. these things can provide uh, up to about 7 pounds of boost. Wow. Um, but uh, with, with twin E-boosters, these things will support uh, boosting the motor till about 4,000 RPM. Okay. Um, this large turbo, if I didn't have the e-boosters, this turbo wouldn't even begin to build boost until about 5,000 RPM. Mm -hmm. So very late in the RPM range. Mm -hmm. Um, But with the e-boosters, because the e-boosters can provide this additional air to the motor very Mm -hmm. early, the turbocharger will have additional exhaust energy to Mm -hmm. spin up earlier. Okay. And so the the turbo will actually be waste skating uh, at at about 3,000 RPM. Okay. So the e-boosters provide that initial Pump of air, you know, Mm -hmm. additional air, and then the turbo is able to spool sooner. Okay. And uh, and the turbo then, of course, can easily support uh, the horsepower uh, demands uh, on through Redline.
1: So I was kind of confused about plumbing until you showed me the diagram you've got on the board over here. And if you can imagine, uh, let's just imagine a triangle, um, and at one corner you have the S400 turbocharger, at another corner you have the e boosters. And at the third corner is the charge pipe to the engine, right? That's right. Um, Let's say on the diagonal between the the turbocharger and the charge pipe to the engine, there's a bypass valve in there. Mm -hmm. So when the turbocharger and the e-booster, and stop me if I get this wrong, when the turbo and the e-booster are operating, you're you're actually pulling air through the turbocharger, which I would imagine helps. Because it's not like a sequential setup where you're using the boost from one to Spool the other, I guess. You're actually like kind of pulling air through the the main turbocharger. Does that help spool at all?
0: Yes, it, it does. So um, uh, because the e boosters are what you would consider a high pressure stage, mm-hmm. um, when they are turned on, uh, they are essentially sucking air through the compressor stage of the turbo. Okay. Which, in a sense, to some degree, helps uh, the turbo spin up easier because okay. it's the turbo is not having to do any work at mm-hmm. that point in time. Uh, the bigger advantage comes from that additional charge air that is making its way to the motor. Sure. And then the motor is then pumping it through and combusting and creating a yeah, lot yeah, of yeah. exhaust okay. energy. Sure. Right. Sure. Um, but yeah, so so low RPM when things are are boosting, mm-hmm. uh, the air flows through the from the air filter into the large turbo, mm-hmm. and then from the large turbo through the e boosters, mm-hmm. and then to the from the e boosters to the engine. Okay. Okay. Um, there will come a point in time where the e-boosters begin to fall off, whether mm-hmm. it's because their compressor stage can no longer provide that volume of air, mm-hmm. or I turn them off. Mm-hmm. Um, and at that point in time, the air has to, or it's best to bypass those e-boosters and mm-hmm. just go straight from. Because
1: if not, it's just a restriction. That's the, right. Okay. Okay.
0: Yep. Um, and so uh, there, there's a valve that will, it's a passive valve that will be in the charge plumbing and it will allow the air to go straight from the S400 compressor stage straight to the motor and bypass those E boosters um and uh dude,
1: th- this is this is some wizard shit man <laughs> <laughs> it it really yeah, i mean sitting here listening to you talk about uh, talk about this 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 is some next level stuff that you're doing dude it's really uh,
0: is. it's really fun to it's like i said it's a puzzle piece and and uh, trying to make everything fit together yeah. and um and you know, be put a little bit of math behind it to, yeah. to try to make it work from the beginning, yeah. um, and and run into fewer problems uh, down the road. That's that's what's fun to me. Mm-hmm. Um, now you know, I have to say that that all of this, number one, the hardware, and number two, the approach to designing it and matching the the, the different compressor stages and turbine stages, making sure that all that is sized right, uh, that would not be available to me unless I work the job I work yeah, for the company sure, I work for. Sure. Um, so that's a, a a big benefit. Yeah. Um. But uh. But since I have access to this stuff, man. Oh man.
2: Yeah. Oh. Yeah.
1: <laughs> just I'm in heaven. Yeah. Yeah. It's a sandbox for sure. And and I should say um the another neat thing is I guess just because of packaging concerns under the hood all this all the forced induction stuff is taking place in the trunk. Yep. You know, it, it's in the back of the car, so there'll be charge piping running, you know, underneath the car, and there's actually he's built some. Uh, Really neat uh, oval uh, charge piping to get through some of the, the tight clearance areas and, and all that. Um, but yeah, so you, you cut the whole trunk out of this thing. You've built this, you know, groundbreaking uh, turbo e booster setup. Um, what what are what are the goal? Obviously, I mean, I think you said um, you want you want a powerful you know streetable car. Mm-hmm. Yep. What are your power goals?
0: Yeah. So really, what I'd like to hit, uh, and this is purely based on. Uh, what I've seen from the supercharged uh, RS4s that mm-hmm. are out there, uh, of course, they, they come naturally aspirated stock, Yeah. Uh, and so there's been a few uh, companies offering some supercharger kits. And based on the power that I've seen those put out reliably, mm-hmm. um, I want to kind of step it up a little bit from from those guys, and I want to hit uh, essentially 500 foot-pounds of torque from as early as possible, wow. and, and there are some limiting factors there which I have yet to find, mm-hmm. but... Um, I'm expecting, I'd like to see at least 2,500 RPM hit 500 Mm -hmm. foot-pounds. Holy shit. (laughs) Um, It might be able to happen sooner. That's like a diesel, man. Uh, Exactly. Wow. Um, It may actually have to happen a little bit later. Uh, It'll be, mainly it'll be knock limited. Okay. Um, But uh, 500 foot-pounds of torque from as early as possible Mm. through redline. Wow. Um, And so, again, my goal is a flat torque curve. So Mm -hmm. hit that peak torque ASAP and hold it. So whatever number I can hit, just run it on out. Um, the, the large turbo will easily be able to support sure. that torque, uh, and the, and the ultimately that power, uh, on through redline. Mm-hmm. So that's no issue. Really the limiting factor will be how early can I bring boost on with the e-boosters, mm-hmm. uh, that the motor won't uh, fight back at me. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, I want to keep running 93 octane fuel. Mm-hmm. I'm not doing some E85 build. Yeah. Uh, I want to go to any gas station, any pump. Um, uh, it's a street car yeah. um, and I want to leave it that way. Yeah. So, whatever peak number I end up with, uh,
1: I'll be happy with Mm -hmm.
0: because it'll still haul ass. I Um, mean, yeah, it'll be for sure. It'll be a lot faster than it was. Yeah, Um, and we uh, we should
1: mention this is all being done on a on a pretty much factory sealed motor. That's right. You you, you got some uh, some pretty minor upgrades to the the uh, direct fuel injection. That's right. uh, The pumps, Um, but apart from that, you're not pulling the motor out. You're not putting pistons in it. You're not putting cams in it. You're not. Doing you you want to you want to push the limits of, of the stock motor right yeah
0: and and honestly I don't even want to push those limits um, okay uh, I want to uh, maintain a reliable setup um, and you know the the budget for me on this build uh, a lot of these parts are available to me at, at low or no cost yeah um, and so yeah,
1: that, uh, that e booster just fell off the back of the truck yeah don't worry about it I think Eric's been looking <laughs> right. for one of those yeah
0: um, and so you know that's a big part of it for me uh, mm-hmm. the RS four platform is is not a cheap platform when you try to start getting into the motor sure um and i'm not ready for that financially yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Is, so, is
1: this a platform that's pretty mature as far as the aftermarket is concerned or is it are there still gaps to be filled
0: um i would say uh there i would say there are gaps to be filled mm-hmm. but the market is so small um, okay that if you try to venture into those uh those gaps to close those gaps uh you're really risking a lot yeah um, okay and so, uh, you know, the issue in the states, at least, with this RS4 platform is that this car was only sold 2006 through 2008.
2: Oh wow! I didn't know. Uh, and there's it was only
0: there's only 2,200 of these cars in the states. That's it. That's it. And that wow. includes both the sedans and the convertibles. They well,
1: you're you're bringing the average power of this family up, you know, pretty significantly. Uh, yeah, I, I I would
0: agree <laughs> with that statement. Um, That's cool. But uh, but yeah, there's a lot of guys. Like I said, there was there were supercharger kits offered uh, by a lot of companies, and mm-hmm. uh, I think the number of, of kits available has, has kind of diminished okay. uh, because the car is aging out mm-hmm. um but uh there's a lot of purists out there who don't want to touch these things they want to leave them stock right yeah um and uh and i can understand that it's a gorgeous mm-hmm. car and it does everything really wonderfully stock mm-hmm. um and then there's a few crazy people like me who want to screw it up and yeah and and make it more yeah. powerful so um yeah this is you know i i definitely don't um I don't latch on to the numbers game with okay, cars sure if there's one or if there's eight thousand or eight million built mm-hmm. that's not of interest to me mm-hmm. uh, I just see the machine for what it is mm-hmm. by itself and uh, I enjoy it for what it is yeah, that's cool um, that's so cool. yeah so that's uh that's the latest latest project and uh, that's why I sold my Buell off in parts because I need to focus yeah, all my right. my efforts right. on this and boy oh boy yeah. this is consuming all of my brain bandwidth outside yeah. of work <laughs>
1: cool so the the factory uh, the factory engine management I guess is is fairly tunable and, and cracked pretty well or what's what's the route on that?
0: It's well cracked uh, by certain people okay and so I'm still kind of going through this uh, interview uh, interviewing of a few tuners that are out there who who have cracked these uh, these ECMs um, because the hardware is so unique on this build mm-hmm. um, I, I kind of want to be sure that i'm that I'm working with the right, right. person who yeah. is willing to uh, approach the tuning in a way that works for both of us mm-hmm. um i definitely don't want to have complete control over everything well i would like to yeah <laughs> um, but i know that because i don't have coming
1: next week eric's all will drive dyno at his house
0: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man that would be great yeah um the buell experience i had full access to everything and i i had complete control mm-hmm. so if i did something and it's messed up that was on me yeah and i liked that mm-hmm. um with this, that's not the case. Mm-hmm. I can do all the hardware changes, uh, but when it comes to software, I have to rely on somebody else. Yeah, sure. And uh, and that's okay. There's a lot of experienced guys out there, um, but I'm I'm kind of going through and feeling out uh, the few guys that, that are willing to take on the project. Um, and uh, I want to get down to the right guy that where he and I both match or that yeah, person and yeah, I yeah. both match. I mean,
1: this, this is going to be significant effort. You yeah, know, to to get tuned and to get the potential out of it. That, a- absolutely, that, that's
0: there. And so there's you know there's the tuning element that is making the car run right with a boosted setup, mm-hmm. and then there's the additional element of I will be defining the control logic for the e boosters, mm-hmm. and I and my definition of that control logic has to work with the tuner, and and how they approach the tune. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there will be a lot of iterations. Yeah, um, and that is time consuming for everybody. Sure, um, and so. Uh, I just got to find the right person that yeah. can that can put up with my shenanigans, yeah, right. you know. Well, that's uh, cool. So, yeah, so but we'll we'll uh, we'll see. I mean, that's you know, I can make all the hardware perfect, but if mm-hmm. the tune doesn't, you know, if the tuner is not willing to work with with the the weird hardware, mm-hmm. uh this project will kind of fall flat on its face. Yeah,
1: sure. Um, I'm sure you'll find the I'm sure you the right guy. I hope so. <laughs> cool. So, I, I'm still sort of stuck on the the e-booster thing. Um and the fact that an electric supercharger is now uh, a reality—is um, that? I mean, obviously there are plenty of applications for it in the aftermarket. Um, has anybody you know utilized it yet? Is there interest in it? Where Where do you think that's going?
0: Yeah, so it's uh, the aftermarket's kind of an interesting, uh, interesting market to to introduce a new product, uh, mm-hmm. especially new technology. So currently in the OE world. Uh, Mercedes or Daimler is the only customer that Borg Warner has in production. Okay, um, and so we produce this uh, these e boosters uh, that go on some of their S class uh, mm-hmm. bigger uh, sedans. Mm-hmm. Because of that, um, there's uh, really limited production uh, currently of this e booster technology. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that that makes for is very expensive piece prices. Sure, because it's low volume.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And also, with a lot of the OEs, when, uh, when an OE supplier produces something, the OE will, will buy or pay for a lot of the tooling. Mm-hmm. And what that means is that, typically, is that means that the, the, the supplier cannot produce aftermarket products. Okay, sure. Or, if they do, they have to pay the OE some sort of royalty or yeah. make some sort of you know uh, negotiations there. And so, um, for an aftermarket program to be a viable program, You have to either have uh, the volume to justify investing in the tooling, Mm -hmm. uh, to have aftermarket dedicated tooling, or uh, you have to make the negotiations with the OE supplier. Yeah. And in Daimler's case, the eBooster that is made for Daimler is so unique to the Daimler application Mm -hmm. that it would be hard to sell that or offer that to the OE, or I'm sorry, to the aftermarket. Mm -hmm. The other challenge with with a new technology like eBooster's is there has to be the infrastructure to support the the unit okay so turbochargers they've been around for a long time people know how to bolt them on supply them oil route the turbo you know route the exhaust system the Mm -hmm. charge plumbing Uh, but with an e-booster you have to have and these units are 48 volt uh, uh, units so you have Mm -hmm. to have the 48 volt infrastructure Um, you have to have the control logic to control them because they don't do their own thing by themselves Mm -hmm. you have to tell them what to do Uh, so to know the communication protocol um their operation limits in terms of temperatures, um, uh, boost pressures, all those things. Mm-hmm. You, have to, you have to be able to support all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the, the community, the aftermarket community, is not quite ready to mm-hmm. take that on in any volume. Sure, There definitely are some very uh, uh, focused uh, enthusiasts and tuners mm-hmm. out there. Uh, who can take on eBooster technology and adapt it to any vehicle?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, b- but you're talking ten, maybe twenty different folks, yeah, who just taking a guess. Yeah. So when you try to sell ten units, oh, you're not making money unless you're you know marking them up and and making crazy margin on them.
2: yeah.
0: Um, so right now it's it's not quite a viable market okay. for the aftermarket. I would love to see it there. and honestly, This build here on my Audi and uh, I have a colleague and friend who is doing a similar build on his um, B5 S4 Avant Mm -hmm. uh, with a single Mm -hmm. e-booster and uh, our efforts here are to try to test out what it would take for anybody in the aftermarket community to make an e-booster work
2: yeah
0: and test and kind of prove yeah Um, so if we can do this then that might make uh, you
1: know, uh, there's not no if it's a win well, it's a win for you don't sell yourself short
0: <laughs> I hope so and, and uh, my colleague Austin also hopes, uh, mm-hmm. hopes for that um, but uh, it'll eventually make its way to the aftermarket yeah. uh, it's just a matter of time
1: yeah. that's very cool well, that um, that brings us to. I mean, I'm, I'm sure there's more stuff to talk about. Um, luckily, we're we're pretty close to each other, um, so I'm I'm sure I'll I'll hit you up again. Oh, uh, for sure you know, to be a repeat guest. So I would look forward to that. But uh, but yeah, I think this brings us to about an hour, which seems okay. to be a good link for people. So we'll we'll go ahead and wrap it up. Sure. Um, but uh, but yeah, really excited to to follow the progress on the Audi, um, and we didn't even touch the surface of your uh, your KTM 1290 uh, Super car <laughs> back there. Another fun is, machine. Yeah, it's an incredible bike too. Um, are you documenting uh, progress for this anywhere that might be publicly accessible?
0: Yeah, so the Audi, I've uh, I've started a build thread on Audi Zine. Okay. Um, yep, that's a, a forum that I only really got on just to try to document this in one place. Okay. Um, and so I have a build for, uh, build thread uh, on the Audi Perfect. Zine forum.
1: I'll find that and, and link it for sure.
0: Yep, I can share that link with you. Um, and, uh, again, just like the Buell, I'm trying to, uh, document all my successes, all my failures, mm-hmm. um, my logic to how I'm approaching things. Mm-hmm. And I'm open to suggestions. If anybody says, man, you're doing this stupid. Yeah. Um, I would love to hear uh, cool. some ideas, cool. uh, but, uh, but yeah, that's, uh,
1: that's what's going on. Okay. We'll check it out. Well, thanks everybody for listening. This has been, uh, Eric Ziegler and his, uh, his adventures in, uh, adventures in project cars and project bikes over the year. I hope you enjoy this episode. And, uh, like I said, I'm, I'm sure we'll be hearing from, uh, Eric in the future. Thanks for listening. Awesome. Thanks, Jared. Yeah. I want to say thank you to my friends over at Porch40 for allowing me to use their song Out Loud off of their brand new album Radio Edit as intro and outro music for uh, this podcast. If you enjoy that kind of music, give them a listen. They're available on iTunes and Spotify and all of your major, uh, major digital music platforms.